Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Cities in History podcast. I'm Katrina Gulliver, and today I'll be talking about the Chicago School. Just to make it a little more confusing, there are other groups, for instance in economics, that are also referred to as the Chicago School. The group I'm discussing today were primarily sociologists, and they've been tremendously influential on the studies of urban populations. They were mostly at the University of Chicago, and they were publishing in the interwar period, although some members of the group published before and after this. Now, to back up a little, the discipline of sociology had only emerged at the end of the 19th century. This was particularly the result of the French scholar Emile Durkheim, and I'll talk about him in another episode. But in the early 1890s, the sociology department at the University of Chicago was formed. It began attracting scholars from other universities over the next few years, and they formed the core of this group. The idea of studying social groups and behavior in a scientific way was quite new. Much of their research was devoted to problems like overcrowding public health and crime. They also envisioned ways of improving city life through urban planning. Now, as this was taking place, they witnessed the 1920s economic boom followed by the Depression and Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal, and there was a great deal of academic interest in social improvement. The early 20th century had also seen great urban growth and the issues of urban sprawl, immigration, crime, and moral panic about social change were often conflated. The upheaval of the First World War, women getting the vote and achieving greater social visibility and economic independence, all of these things were contributing to the intellectual environment in which the Chicago School was studying society. The group included Robert Park, Ernest Burgess, Louis Vert, George Herbert Mead, Edward Franklin Fraser, Roderick Mackenzie, and others. They used the city of Chicago as their laboratory in studying urban society. They were influenced in some ways by German academia. Park had himself studied in Berlin, and Wirt had grown up in Germany and moved to the U.S. as a young man. What I want to look at here is how their work has influenced how we think about cities and urban life today. In 1921, Robert Park and Ernest Burgess published the seminal textbook of the time, Introduction to the Science of Sociology. In this, they advanced their idea of human ecology. Influenced by the studies of the ecology of plants, they saw human society as an ecosystem, particularly in cities. They wrote about what they saw as the typical urban development. According to this, the shape of a city is first influenced by physical geography. For instance, the availability of building materials, being close to a source of water, transport options, etc. And as the city grows, People's sympathies, rivalries, economic decisions start to shape it. Businesses and factories look for the best locations, and this then draws groups of people who work there to live nearby. And as fashionable residence areas emerge, the poor are excluded. This leads to slums, as changing property values force certain groups to less desirable areas. They wrote, In the course of time, every section and quarter of the city takes on something of the character and qualities of its inhabitants. Each separate part of the city is inevitably stained with the peculiar sentiments of its population. The effect of this is to convert what was at first a mere geographical expression into a neighborhood, that is to say, a locality with sentiments, traditions, and a history of its own. Within this neighborhood, the continuity of the historical processes is somehow maintained. The past imposes itself upon the present, and the life of every locality moves on with a certain momentum of its own, more or less independent of the larger circle of life and interests about it. Now, this particular approach has obviously 
particularly useful for those of us studying urban history who want to look at the ways each city developed its own identity, which is one of the features in my own research. But the Chicago School, one of their research techniques included drawing data from census reports, welfare records, crime figures, and other sources to gather information on specific behaviors, such as alcoholism, poverty, juvenile delinquency, homicide, etc. With this, they created spot maps showing where in the city these things occurred. This kind of analysis is still used by social scientists today, and you can see echoes of it too in modern police work with Comstat systems recording where the crime hotspots are occurring in a city at a particular time and then directing police attention to those areas. Now, of most interest to urban scholars, in 1925, Burgess, Park, and Mackenzie published The City, Suggestions for the Study of Human Nature in the Urban Environment, and this contained chapters by each of them and a bibliography by Vert. The book offered the conceptualization of the city into concentric zones, which is still used in urban analysis. In this, the city is imagined as shaped like a bullseye. The central zone is the central business district. Outside that is the transitional zones of industrial areas and deteriorating housing. Outside that, the working class residential areas and tenements, and outside that, further residential and commuter suburban zones. They also viewed cities as something that experiences evolution and change in the Darwinian sense. Park wrote that the city was the natural habitat of civilized man. It is for that reason a cultural area characterized by its own peculiar type. They also saw human society as self-segregating, not simply along racial or economic grounds, but that communities would form over common interests and that the result would be quite different from groupings based on occupation, for instance. And in this way, cities would develop into a collection of unique neighborhoods. Park himself wrote about what drew people to cities and created urban culture. He said, The attraction of the metropolis is due in part to the fact that in the long run, every individual finds somewhere among the varied manifestations of city life the sort of environment in which he expands and feels at ease, finds, in short, the moral climate in which his particular nature obtains the stimulations that bring his innate dispositions to full and free expression. Indeed, when we look at cities in history, it's only with a certain critical mass of population that people do have the freedom to develop their interests and choose their companions in this way. And Louis Vert would later write that the city had historically been the melting pot of races, peoples, and cultures, and a most favorable breeding ground of new biological and cultural hybrids. He also claimed that the city is remaking human nature, and each city is producing its own type of personality. That's certainly something we still tend to think when we talk about the differences between people in New York and Los Angeles, for instance, or how we expect people to behave in Tokyo versus in Paris. The Chicago School also worked on issues of racial integration. One of the group, Frazier, who completed his PhD in 1932 on the Negro family in Chicago, was one of the first African-American scholars to conduct sociological research on black communities in the USA. He later helped to draft the UNESCO statement on the race question in 1950. The Chicago School also published some items that don't hold up so much today. Louis Vert's book, The Ghetto, is an example. Published in 1929, it focuses on the Jewish ghetto in Europe. The copy that I borrowed from the Bavarian State Library in Munich has a pencil notation on the flyleaf indicating that the library purchased it in 1931. That made me shudder just a little to think of the attitudes of the people who could have read it back then. 
Nonetheless, the influences of the Chicago School are clearly seen in the work of contemporary social theorists such as Richard Sennett, and their texts are still in the syllabus of many urban studies courses. Robert Park wrote in his autobiographical notes, According to my earliest conception of a sociologist, he was to be a kind of super-reporter, like the men who write for fortune. He was to report a little more accurately, and in a manner a little more detached than the average, what my friend Ford called the big news. The big news was the long-time trends which recorded what is actually going on rather than what, on the surface of things, merely seems to be going on. And those of us who study history, particularly the history of cities, are trying to do the same thing in many ways. And the kind of data analysis that the Chicago School developed are techniques that many historians still use today, uh, for instance, looking at census data and population statistics for particular areas. I'll be back next week uh, to talk about European theorists of the city. Please subscribe for future episodes of Cities in History. You can follow on Twitter, at Cities in History, and the website, citiesinhistory.com, for information, including a reading list. And feel free to post any questions there. 